thank you for your presence. We thank you for your great, great presence, God. We thank you for the beauty of your presence. Jesus, there's nothing like your presence, Lord. We exalt you. We exalt you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we worship you. Nothing like your presence. Your presence is heaven to us, Lord. We exalt your name. We exalt your name, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. It is in you, Lord God, that we move, that we live that we have our very being, Lord God. And so we bless your name this morning. We honor your name this morning, Lord. We acknowledge your presence this morning, Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of James chapter 3. Before we dismiss our kids, we have a we have a memory verse, and so I want to ask Mezzi to come forward come on, today man. before the kids leave as a, as a good example to our kids. How many of y'all got that memory verse down? How many of y'all got it down? Anybody? Anybody have a memory it. verse down? We got a few. We got a few. And so we're going we're gonna to let Mezzi do this. He's going he's, he's gonna, to hold on a second. He's going to lead us in this memory verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. We need some adult participation next week. Amen. Glory to God. Our kids are dismissed to core kids. At this time, and you are turning your Bible to the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3, and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by the fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men 
who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring both yields salt water and fresh. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that liberates us. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you for the reminders of what you have done for us and dying in our place and rising again. And we thank you today that we get to come before your word with our hearts open, with our ears attentive, Lord God, with our minds submitted. And so we pray that you would captivate our hearts completely, remove distractions, worries, concerns. Let our minds and hearts be subject to your spirit's direction today, Lord God. And I ask that we would not just hear what you're saying, but that we would be doers of it, that we would respond in obedience. Lord, we pray this in the good name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and um, hold it up, and the ushers will get you an outline. Uh, it's important for me that you have it. You can follow along with the introduction. You're able to take notes, which is very important, that we are students of the Word of God. You're able to reference what you've learned. There's some very important questions that are in the outline for you as well. And then, as always, I want to challenge you. Are you making disciples? Are you helping someone grow in their faith? And so if you're not, this is a tool that you can utilize in order to help someone grow in their faith. Simply sit down with them, talk to them about, about what you're learning on Sundays, and that's going to help someone grow in their their faith. It will also help you to grow in your faith because it will make you accountable. Hello, somebody. Because you start talking to somebody about what you're learning on Sundays, and all of a sudden, they start watching your life like, okay, what are you learning? Are you living what you're learning? So that's built-in accountability. And so for those of you that are following along in our Bible reading challenge, today is 169. As my wife referenced in the beginning of the service, we are in Psalm 25 to 27. And so I hope that you are reading through those through, through the Bible with us. Um, as, I, as I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not as consistent as I would like to be in getting the scriptures out there on the video and stuff like that, but I'm still reading, and I hope that you are as well, and I want to challenge you, especially as we're in the book of Psalms. I believe that a prayer life is the most important part of our life. I believe knowing how to pray is something that you learn, but it's also something that you can develop, right? You can learn it by practice, but you can also develop it by being in the Word of God and looking at someone who I consider to be a real worshiper and a real person of prayer who wrote most of the Psalms, and that is David. And so as we go through the book of Psalms, I encourage you to be in there learning and growing with us. And so in your outline, if you look at your outline with me, um, James, the first paragraph there, James has explained to us uh, two characteristics of the mature Christian. First of all, he is patient in trouble, which that was what we learned in James 1. That's what our memory verse is all about. And the second thing is that he practices truth. That's what we learned in James chapter 2. And in this section, he shares the third characteristic of the mature believer, and that is that he has power over his tongue. Hello, somebody. He has power over his tongue. And so I remember being a young Christian, and uh, my pastor, he preached from the book of James one time, and he loved to do illustrations. And, you know, that was his thing. I'm not, a, I'm not a real illustration guy, but he used to love to do illustrations. You know, one time he brought a ladder in the church, and he was talking about, you know, something. I don't remember what it was. I remember the ladder, though. Anyway, so, um, you know, so all that says is sometimes illustrations don't necessarily work to drive the point home if you don't remember the point. Well, all that said, in this particular illustration, I remember, and it drove the point home because I never forget it. And so he was talking about the tongue, and, and you know, behind 
behind the, 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 the pulpit that he had, that he was preaching behind, it was wood, and so you couldn't see behind it. And so down in the back here, he had something. And we knew that because he started putting on these gloves on his hands. So he's putting on these gloves, and all of a sudden, he pulls out of the back this huge cow tongue. Hello. And so when he pulls it out, he says, this is what some of y'all's tongues look like. Hello, somebody. And so the point was, he was talking about, man, this is serious stuff. I'm dealing with the tongue. But I want to tell you a story about a pastor. So these two pastor friends, they were talking. And so one pastor friend, he tells his, he tells his, his um, you know, he's telling his friend about this woman in his church who is a notorious gossip. Like she's the one, she's on the phone all the time, making sure everybody knows what's going on because everybody's got to be in the know. And so one day this woman comes to her pastor and says to him, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others into trouble. And so the pastor was, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of skeptical about this because this is a routine thing for her. You know, she's come to him a few times like this. So he guardedly asked her, he says, so what are you going to do about it? So she says to the pastor, Pastor, I want to put my tongue on the altar. She said this with piety. She was stirred. She was like, God, I want to lay it on the altar. And so the pastor replied to her, there's not an altar that's big enough. I hope that's not you. Hello now. It's important that we consider the power of our tongue, that we think about what it is that we're saying and that we realize how, how effective or how ineffective uh, the use of our words can be if they're used for the wrong things, right? If they're used for the right things, they can be effective. And so one of the key statements, Tom, you said your um, last paragraph there in your outline, one of the key statements in this, in this portion of James is, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. To me, that's like the crux of everything that James is communicating here. And I'm going to talk about that in my second point, but I want you to see that we must embrace the reality of the power of the tongue. Our words matter, and they testify clearly of our maturity or our immaturity in our faith. We need to understand that. Like when we're looking at what James is communicating, remember, throughout this book, he's calling us to really test our own lives, to look into our own lives, to be introspective about the topics that he is talking about. And today's topic is our tongue. And so today we're going to talk about the speech test. It's the test of our speech. What, is our, what are our words communicating? What are our words saying about us and the maturity or the immaturity of our faith? And so the big idea that I have for you today is our speech does not betray us but exposes us. Our speech does not betray us but it exposes us. It shows who we are. You know, sometimes people are like, man, I'm just going to be quiet because, you, know, you know, my words may betray me or whatever the case may be. You know, we learned, you know, I, I would hope that we learned, you know, so, I don't know, some people, I wonder if they ever learned this. But, you know, something that I learned growing up is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. Amen. But the reality is, is it, it, the, I think there's a deeper issue. That's learning to modify your behavior, which I think is important. It's learning to have self-control, which I think is important. But here's the thing that you need to ask. The deeper question is, why don't you ever have anything good to say? It's a lot easier to say good things when there's good inside of you when there's something good to come out, when, when you see a situation. And I'll tell you right now, this is just me, and I can confess this. I am the kind of guy, I am really, believe it or not, I'm very much the guy that always sees what's wrong. Always. I, I'm just, that's just the way that I was wired. Like when I walk into something, we could have a great, like, you know, in here, for example, we could be in here having a glorious and wonderful service, and I'm going to tell you something, I will notice everything that's wrong. 
I will notice every seat that's empty. I'll notice what, I'm not going to mention anything today because I'm not going to, but anyway, the point is, I'll notice every, but that's just me. And so I have to work, like, to be appreciative of the good, to make sure I recognize and I acknowledge those things. And so I recognize that about myself. And so what happens is we have to ask that question, why is it that I don't have anything good to say? Why is it that I always have something negative to contribute to the conversation? Is it, is it something that's going on inside of my heart? And I believe that James is trying to get us to look deeper than our words, but to look at the origin of our words, to look at what is really going on with us. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we must recognize the power of the tongue for guidance. We must recognize the power of the tongue for guidance. We have to recognize that there is an ability within us to guide, right, to lead, to direct things. And so the first thing you'll see in verses 1 through 5a, it says this. It says, my brethren, let no one, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so this seems like a, a statement that's just thrown in there for some of us. But the reality is James is obviously addressing something within that particular church or among those people, and it was that you had a bunch of people that wanted to be teachers. They had a bunch of people that wanted to be the ones that had the answers to the questions. They had a bunch of people that wanted to be leading and instructing. And James pulls the reins back and says, hold on a second. Not all of us should want to do this. Not because it's not good to teach, but because teachers go through a stricter judgment. As teachers, you go through stricter judgment. Why is that? Well, first of all, you go through a stricter judgment because not only are you responsible, I need you to pay attention to this, this is very important for you, not only are you responsible as a teacher to obey what you are hearing, but you are accountable to what you are saying. So now you have to make sure that you are one, you are communicating the truth correctly, but then also that you are living the truth obediently. Are you here? But here's what I want you to know. Everybody who hears the word of God is responsible to obey. We talked about that, right? We talked about obeying, being doers of the word of God. And so here's what I want you to know. You might have been sitting here, and when you read that scripture, you were like, yep, that's confirmation. I should not be a teacher. That's not necessarily true. Hello. Because some people feel like, well, you know, I'm not going to be a teacher because I don't want to go through a stricter judgment. Let me tell you something. Everybody's going to be judged with what they do with God's word. Everybody is going to be judged with what they do with the scriptures, either obeying the scriptures or disobeying, disregarding the scriptures, being in contradiction to the scriptures. And there's two ways that we do that. Well, one of them that we disobey is a clear, clear rebellion to what God says. God tells you to do this, and you say, nope, I'm not going to do that. So you are going to omit to do what God says, right? You're going to rebel that way. And then there is the other clear rebellion that God says, you know what, I want you to not do this. And you say, well, I want to do that, so I'm going to do that. And here's the thing, all of us are going to give an account for what we do with God's word. Here's, the, here's what he's saying. He's saying, now teachers, they have a stricter judgment because not only are you accountable for what you're hearing, but you're accountable for what you're saying. See, every time you sit down, listen, every time you, you, you have someone ask you a question, how many of you have ever, have ever I want to see a show of hands of this, how many of you have ever had someone come to you and ask you a question about the Bible? Raise your hand. Okay, now put your hands down. Now, how many of you had somebody come and ask you a question about the Bible that you honestly did not have the answer to? Raise your hand. Okay, now put your hands down. I don't want you to answer this question. Now, how many, don't, don't raise your hand now. Please do not raise your hand. How many of you have been asked a question about the Bible that you did not have the answer to and you tried to give an answer because you tried to like figure it out like I'm just going to say what I think it means? Don't raise your hands. You should never do that. 
What I tell our leaders, what I make sure that I live by is if I don't, I'm not the Bible answer man, hello somebody. I don't know every single thing, right? I know how to, I know, I know how to Google stuff, hello somebody. Listen, be careful with Google because Google ain't always right. And you may find a bunch of answers that be like having your head spinning, all right? Make sure that you're looking at credible sources for answers, right? You know, good biblical, solid commentaries, you know, when you're asking questions and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing that, that I do know is that whenever someone asks a question and I don't have an answer, I will be quick to tell them, this is what I think about the subject, but I am not sure if that is exactly what the Bible means on that. I will get back to you and give you the biblical or the best biblical answer I can give. Why? Because the moment, listen to me now, the moment that you decide to give someone an answer regarding the Bible, guess what? You just became a teacher. Did you hear me? Oh, Bishop, I'm never answering anyone's question again. No, no, no. Answer the questions. Just know the answers. Study the scriptures. Don't pretend like you know what's going on. Don't give people my opinion. You know, I thought about this, you know, um, how many of y'all would just go if you had a plumbing issue in your house and you would just go be like, hey, bro, do you know about plumbing? And someone's like, yeah, man, I know about plumbing. So what do you know about plumbing? Well, hey, you know, I mean, I know you flush the toilet. Like, that's what happens. Like, water goes down there. I turn on the faucet. Water comes out. Okay, so can you fix this clog that I have? Well, I guess, is that the guy you're going to call? No, you're going to call someone who knows what they're talking about. You're going to probably call someone who is certified. If you're smart, you're going to call somebody who is insured. So if they don't know what they're talking about, they're going to pay for what they break. Hello, somebody. And so what you want is someone who knows what they're talking about. And, and so we need to be those people, right? We need to be those who are speaking what God's word says. And so the first thing, you must recognize the power of the tongue for guidance, we have the ability to guide others, to direct others. And then he goes on to say here, he says, I love this, verse 2. He says, for we all, say we all. He says, for we all stumble in many, in many things. I, I love this because you know what James does? When he goes ahead and he says, look, man, you know, not all of us should try, to, should, should try to be teachers. Then he goes on to say, because we all stumble in many things. So what he does is he levels the field. He's saying, everybody in the building. He's saying everybody who's reading this letter, everybody who's in the church, everybody who's on the planet, it is all level ground because every one of us stumbles. Listen, he goes on to say, what does he mean? He says this, he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So if anybody has anyone in their life who presumes that they are perfect, James chapter 3 verse 2 is the antidote. I have yet to meet anyone. And listen, I, I know some pretty godly people, I think. I've, I've, I've met some pretty godly people, people who I aspire to be like. I've read people that I aspire to be like. And can I tell you something? Every one of them stumbles in word. Every one of them says something at some point in their life, no matter how mature they are in the faith, they say something they regret because that's just something that we all struggle with. So what does he go on to say? So none of us are perfect. That's the point here. No one is perfect. Not, not the teacher is going to be perfect. I have some guys that I love to listen to, and I hear them, and I agree with, you know, some of them like 85% of the time. Some of them get a 99. You know, some of them are 93 or whatever the case is. But the point is, do I say, well, you know what, I don't agree with that 7%. I don't agree with that 15%. I don't agree with that 10%. So I'm done listening. That's stupid. That's ignorant. Nobody is perfect. Are you here? I'm not perfect. Do you know that, right? I know you think I'm perfect. I know. But listen, I know. I, you know, in my mom's eyes, I am. But, but, uh, but, you know, my wife's eyes, I know. I'm just kidding. My wife's like, I know you. But anyway, um, 
But here's the thing, right? A mother's love is different than a wife's love. A wife's like, I see you. I see you. Hello. Right? Mom's like, he can't do anything wrong. You know, I, I heard somebody, uh, when Minister Wine was talking the other day, remember he was talking last Sunday, and he said his mom was his biggest advocate, that she would go to, you know, she would go to school and she'd be like, not my son. And he's like, oh, yes, your son. Hello. So, got me off track. But anyway. None of us are perfect, right? None of, all of us, all of us fall short, right? Every one of us falls short in speech. And so we have to watch our mouths. We have to check ourselves. We have to consider, okay, hold on a second. Am I allowing God to be the one that influences and guides me so that way I'm walking in the right direction in my mouth? How's my mouth directing me? Look what he goes on to say here. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a, is a little member and boasts great things. And so what I want you to look at, look back at chapter 1, verse 26. I told you we'd talk about this. This is how important this whole tongue issue is. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious be, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And so realize this whole tongue issue, this whole word issue is a big deal. Because you can act all religious, but if you got a potty mouth, if you have diarrhea of the mouth, if you have issues of just gossipy mouth, you, whatever, you have, the, you have mouth issues, listen, you need some Listerine, some Holy Ghost Listerine, hello. You need the Spirit of God to do something in, 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 in changing the way that you speak and changing the way that you communicate. And I want you to know the Spirit. Listen, you want to talk about a potty mouth? I, my mom is sitting right here. She can testify to this. Despite her thought of me being perfect, she will tell you this, that I had a nasty mouth. My mom would tell me at, at a certain point in my, in my life when I was, you know, bigger than her and, you know, I, all that stuff, and she just didn't want to slap me anymore because she did a lot of times. But here's the thing. She was helping my perfection. Um, but but, but what, what happened was I, my mom would tell me not to curse, and I would just spite her, and I would just throw another F-bomb and just curse just because, just to be, you know, just nasty like that. And when I got saved, God did something like instantaneous, and I can't even explain it to you. And listen, I'm saying this. This may not happen to everyone else. Are you here? They're, they're, and I, I don't want anyone to feel condemned with what I'm saying right now because this happened to me, but there's other things that weren't instantaneous. Hello, somebody, right? There were other things that didn't just happen overnight, but I was instantly, my mouth was changed. I mean, I just stopped, it, just, it was like boom, right there. This is what happened. And so what I'm saying is God's power is able to change the way that we talk. And what James is saying, he's saying, look, man, we take a horse, you know what we do with this little thing? We control that horse. You ever look at a bit in comparison to the size of a horse? Very small. And you have a, if you have a bit in the horse's mouth, guess what? You can turn that horse wherever you, wherever you need that horse to go. You ever looked at a ship? You ever looked at, you know, a ship out of the water and seen how big those, like, cruise ships are? You ever seen that little thing that controls this whole ship's direction in the water? It is nothing in comparison to the size of the ship. It's the same thing with your little tongue. It's the same thing with our tongue. It's the same thing with our mouth. And so we have this same issue that we're dealing with. And so what we have to make sure of is what? Is that we are allowing the Spirit of God to be the one that is guiding our hearts so that way our tongues will guide our lives and the lives of those around us in the righteous path. Are you here? This is important for us to remember. The second thing that we, I want you to say after me is this. Say, we must refuse our tongue the power of destruction. 
We must refuse our tongue the power of destruction. Look at verse 5b and 6 here, and it gets real hairy here. Look what he says. He says, we'll look at the whole thing. He says, even, or verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. I don't know about you, but I remember, and I'm going to date myself right now, but how many of y'all remember Smokey the Bear? Because y'all are old too, but listen. Some of you are like, I don't know who Smokey the Bear is. You're young. But here's the thing. I remember watching TV. Back then, we couldn't fast forward through commercials and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember sitting in front of the TV watching cartoons or whatever it was, and I remember Smokey the Bear coming out there, and he would say, only you can prevent forest fires. Hello, somebody. Right? And what was his point? His point, we were saying that because what? Because people were flicking out, you know, cigarettes into the forest areas, and they were causing mad fires all over the place. And so they were trying to bring an awareness like, hey, idiots, you think, and I mean, that's what they were saying, you know, between the lines. They're like, as you're driving down the road and you're flicking your cigarette out the road, guess what you're doing? You are causing havoc to the forest. Hello. Right, because this little fire, this little flicker that you're not even thinking about, that you're rolling down the road 55 miles an hour, and you're not even, it's, it's leaving a whole thing behind you. I don't know how many, how many of y'all saw The Jungle Book? Anybody see The Jungle Book, the, the, new, the movie, right? So I was watching the other day, Josiah loves that movie. Um, and so we're watching the movie there, and you know, Mowgli, remember when he's coming back, he goes and he gets what? He gets that fire. And as he's running back, he comes back over here to fight this tiger, and guess what? They look back, he started the whole forest on fire. It was crazy, right? This, that, that, but it was just a little spark. That's all it took. Was a, and it wasn't like he dropped any, you know, he didn't drop anything. It was those little things that were just falling down. Are y'all hearing this? Little things. It's your tongue. It's your, you know, I, I love, you know, I, 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 I love the Jungle Book, but I also like movies that are like, and I'm just going to confess. I confess earlier. I'll confess again. Um, but I, lo- I love movies that are kind of violent, okay? I'm, I'm just confessing. Like, I like movies that are like men movies, all right? I'm just saying. Um, and I'm confessing this to you. I'm not, I'm not advocating. I'm not, you know, saying violence is cool. Don't let your kids watch violent, crazy movies. Amen. Right? And you don't want to traumatize them. And I don't even tell you you ever let them watch them. But what I'm saying is this. Is I like these movies that have, like, these war things in them. And, you know, or these, you know, like, gladiator-type movies, those type. That's what I mean by that, right? Action like that, right? And I'm not into, like, crazy stuff. But just, like, anyway, you get my point. I confess my sin. But here's the thing. One of the things I love about these pictures is that there is usually a moment when somebody gives this motivational speech to the minority that's about to get killed, right? And they're like, look, we are about to die. They're like, but you know what we're fighting for. We are fighting for the honor of who you say I get excited. And so they're, they're, they, they stop. And what happens is you start to know that there is what? There is power in words because what? Your words are like fires. Hello. And so your words have the ability to motivate. Your words have the ability to move someone who knows they're about to get killed and forget about their lives because what? Because they're going to go ahead and save someone else's life. Usually calling men to do what? To go forth in valor, to go forth and fight these battles because they're called to be protectors. That's the reason why I even said about the violent movies. Because listen, man, as men, we got to protect. So you got to have that rah-rah inside of you sometimes. Hello. I'm just saying, I'm going to throw it out there, right? I'm just saying. Now, again, I'm not advocating violence. I'm just saying, like any man, ladies, let me ask you a question. Do, do you want some wimpy dude next to you when you're driving through the ghetto? Do you know what I love my wife? My wife always, she always says this, and I'm like, babe, I hope. And she's always like, you know what? I'm never scared when I walk with you. I'm like, glory to God. I'm like, because sometimes I'm scared. But here's the thing. I'm just saying, right? Like, we be like, yo. I'm, I'm like, I, you know, I get that, you know. Um, anyway, 
The point is, sometimes I need to have these speeches to myself. But here's what I want you to get. What I need you to understand is that we have this ability that God has given us within our words to do what? To build people up, to bring people to action, or those same words can bring destruction. Those same words can come and can totally destroy someone. And so look what he goes on to say. He said in verse 6, he said, the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. You know what that means? Sets on fire the course of nature. It's talking about it sets on fire your whole life. Have you ever said something to one person and it seemed to just consume everything else around you? Have you ever had one conversation that seemed to affect everything else around you and there's nothing you can do? You can say sorry a thousand times. It doesn't change the effects of those words. Have you ever had those words affect you because it's happened, right? And so what James is saying, this is what occurs when we're speaking. And he goes on to say this. He says, in the, and, and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. That's harsh, is it not? James is saying, listen, sometimes the motivation of that fire, sometimes that fire that's burning, that is a fire that is, that, that is set, set on fire by who? Set on fire by hell. Just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah says what? It says that our heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Does it not say that? That's what the scripture says. And James goes and confirms those words, and he talks about our tongue being that same scenario, having that same evil and wicked propensity to go ahead and bring destruction. He goes on and says in verse 7, he says, for every kind of beast and bird and a, a reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8 says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, as I was reading this, I thought about something. I said, man, as I'm looking at this fire that, that, that hell is being depicted as turning the tongue on, you know, on setting the tongue on fire. You know what I realized? In the book of Acts chapter 2, there's something amazing that God does. And if you read the story, it says what? It says that tongues of fire sat down upon these people. And I don't think that it's there for coincidence sake. I think it's there to show us something. God wants to fill us and he wants to consume our tongues with the fire of his spirit. And what, and what fire does is fire sanctifies, it purifies. And so what God wants to do by his power and by his ability is he wants you to make a choice. Do you want your tongue to be set on fire by hell or by the Holy Ghost? It's up to you. You make the choice. I make the choice. What is going to be the motivation of my speech? Is it going to be the things of hell, the things of the flesh, the things of this world? Or is it going to be the things of heaven, the things of God, the word of God, the spirit of God? What choice to we have to make that choice because your fire is burning either way baby it's going to be hot this way or hot that way you and I got to make that choice we have to make that decision which fire is going to burn in us and so we come to the third point here say this with me we must commit our tongue to the power of life we must commit our tongue to the power of life look at verses 9 through 12 it says this and I already talked about the choice we have to make but it says with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing my brethren these things ought not to be so does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening can a fig tree my brethren bear olives or a grapevine bear figs thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water what is our greatest desire 
Our greatest desire as a church, our vision is what? Is to please the Lord. That's what we want to do, is it not? That's what I talk about in, in, in our vision carrier class. I mean, it's, it is that our desire, the reason why we're here today is because I have one desire, and that is to please God. And in that desire, I hope that you have the same desire, that when I preach, that when I teach, that when we worship, that it all leads you to one thing, and that is a desire to please God above everything else. Not to fulfill some religious code, but to please God with all of your life, because that is what is going to motivate you to honor him in all things when that is your desire when that is what is burning inside of you and what James says here he says with it speaking of the tongue we bless our God and father and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God here's what he's saying here he's saying the same thing that John says John says in, in first John in the epistle he writes and he says this he says how can you say you love God when you don't love your brother who you can see when you haven't seen God in other words, what is John saying? John is saying, listen, you can say you love God all day long, but if you don't love your brother, it's not real love. There, there's something, there's a disconnect to have all this love for God and yet disdain your brother. There's a problem there. And James is maybe echoing, and I think James obviously said this first because James was written before John. But James is saying, look, how can you bless God? How can you stand here and sing, your presence is heaven? How can you stand here and sing, you know, praise the, 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 the Lord our God? How can you stand here and sing, there's no other name? How can you stand here and bless God with these words and yet curse your brothers? How can you speak down? When you talk about cursing, listen, you don't have, I, I, don't, I can tell you right now from my own self, I told you this, when I got saved, God instantly changed my mouth from being a filthy potty mouth to where I don't use words like that. But can I tell you something? I have been able to destroy people with my words that I never dropped an F-bomb, an S-this, or whatever. I never said none of that stuff. It's because I don't have to curse in order to curse someone. Hello. I don't have to curse in order to crush someone. My words can be cutting. My words can be harsh. I can speak down to people. I can belittle people. I can make people feel less than what God says they are. Listen to me when I say this. Everybody on this planet is an image bearer of God, sinner and saint alike. The people who you, who you don't like, who don't believe like you, they are still image bearers of God and deserve the respect that we give to our God Almighty. Hear me when I say that. I didn't say worship. I did not say worship. We owe worship to God Almighty. But when we treat one another with disrespect, you know what we're doing? We're disrespecting him. When we treat one another with dishonor, we're dishonoring him. And so what I'm saying is my creation. Here, think about it this way. If someone disrespects my wife, if someone disrespects my kids, you know what they're doing? They are disrespecting me. That's what they are doing because they're mine. And so the thing that we have to realize is the same thing for us. And so we owe honor to one another. We can't be cursing one another. And then what does James say? And, I, and I'm closing with this. I'm coming to the end here. They give me five more minutes on the clock back there. But here's the thing. What I understand is that James is communicating. He's, he's making it crystal clear for us. And he's saying, look, man, here's the deal. You and I, we're supposed to be a freshwater spring. That's what we're supposed to be. There's a world out there that is thirsty. And guess what? If they come to you who call yourself a Christian and then they see you talking in the break room about your boss, they see you talking in the break room about your, you know, that employee that always comes late, that never does their work, that I got to do other work for them. You know that person. Everybody has that person, at least two or three of them, right, that you know of, right? 
Listen, just don't talk about them. Pray for them. Do your job, whatever the case is. Don't let your mouth be that saltwater thing. Think about it this way. If you were outside washing the car, if you were outside cutting the grass, if you were outside doing something, and, and, you know, your spouse comes unto you, and this can be husband or wife, it doesn't matter. You're outside doing something, sweating. It's a hot, amazing Florida summer day, glory to God, full of humidity and all that good stuff. And your spouse walks out there to you and says, babe, I have an ice-cold cup of salt water for you. How would that make you feel? Here, be refreshed. Listen, that's what we're doing when we're cursing our brethren, when we're cursing God's creation while blessing his name. We're that salt water to a thirsty and dying world. And so my closing question for you is this. What are your words saying about you? What are they saying about you? This is a speech test. So what are your words saying about you? Are they saying that you're a committed, maturing believer? Or are they saying, man, I'm an uncommitted person? Are they saying, man, I am immature because I'm always talking bad about folks? I'm always, I'm, I'm always speaking the negative. I mean, which one is it that you are? Listen, if you're the one that says, man, I'm, this is telling me that I'm uncommitted. This is telling me that I'm immature. You know what? Jesus died for you for that. Jesus died so you could repent of that. Now listen, me saying that doesn't mean you have a license to just go continue being crazy. That's not what that is. Jesus died so you could repent. Repent means to turn around. It means to turn away from. It's to recognize the foolishness that's been coming out of my mouth and the way that I've been and recognizing that I cannot do it on my own. I need the grace and I need the power of God. And if you say that today, you can call on him and he will give you the power to honor and glorify him. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you right now. We do humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit that your presence, that your power will be evident in the midst of my brothers and my sisters. You see the ones in here that were weightily convicted by you, Lord God. Their words are getting the best of them. They're overwhelmed by uh, maybe a potty mouth. They're overwhelmed by a gossipy mouth. They're overwhelmed by harsh words. They're overwhelmed by so many different things, Lord God. And I, and I come to you with them, Lord God, because I know that I struggle with harsh words. And so let me confess, Lord God, before you and ask you, God, to help me, Lord, to, to have soft words, Lord God. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord God, and dealing with ones that I love, Lord God, ones that I care with, Lord God. Give me the ability to be patient, tempered in my speech, Lord God. And I pray the same for those, Lord God, that may be struggling. Jesus, you died to give us the ability to come to the Father, to receive forgiveness, but also to receive the grace in order to live the way you desire. Let, our, let, let the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Let us mature and let us bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.